You know, if you're enjoying being in the house of the Lord this morning, I want you to say amen. Amen. You know, God is good. And, uh, you know, this morning, um, we're going to continue on. But, you know, when you read the Bible, and when you read the Bible, it's, uh, it's quite interesting when you look at the big story and you see all these other little stories that are kind of connected to it and they connect back to the big story. And uh, before the Bible was, was ever written down, it was orally transmitted. Uh, it was told by families, and they passed it down to other families. And, and these stories, you know, going back to the creation of the world, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the Garden of Eden, and, and the flood. And, and the biblical record that we have is literally a story that has been told. And so what we read in that, we see that, and one of the great tasks of the church is to tell the story about God and about His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's one of our tasks, and we want to keep it fresh and, and meaningful and let those stories connect. You know, God's Word is living and active. And we read these stories about the birth of Jesus, and we notice how the gospel, how the gospel speaks to us through these stories. We see what God is getting at. And there's numerous characters and, and, and stories surrounding that magnificent day. That magnificent day and the birth of Jesus Christ. We understand these stories and we get it. Understand God becoming flesh. Almighty God, creator of the universe, becoming flesh, the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. So that he could be with us in the midst of the things that we are going through. See, I, I love this because this season we're talking about four characters. Four characters out of the birth narrative, out of the birth story, and, and, and um, that were transformed, literally changed by the birth of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Zechariah and how his life was changed because of what was going on. We also, today, we want to talk about Mary and her story. And if you have your scripture, just open it up, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 and, and following down through that passage. But if you have your scripture, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following, it says this. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed, excuse me, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And I, I pray, Father, that as we read your word, that your, your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Father, that you would show us those areas where we may not have given you uh, made you Lord of those areas of our lives. And Father, I pray that even this morning, even now, Father, that you would draw us close to you. And Father, that that we would see Jesus as your Son, the Son of God, who came for us. Father, I pray that you would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our second character that we're going to talk about is Mary. And um, the mother of Jesus, you know, we Protestants, um, we know very little about Mary. In some ways, you know, you might say we've ignored her through the years. I mean, if you could remember the sermons that you've heard about Mary, you could probably count them on one hand or maybe two in all of the, the sermons that you've heard. But the records are fairly sparse. And in Hebrew, her name is Miriam, which literally means bitter myrrh. Bitter myrrh. Now, we don't know why she was given this gloomy name, except for the fact that many times the custom of naming their children among the Jews would they would, they would name them according to the circumstances that were going on uh, of their birth. But we do know that at the time of Christ, when, when he was born, that there was extreme poverty in the country and, and for almost all of the Jews, extreme poverty. They were a downtrodden people and their daily lot was very difficult. You know, Martin Luther, he speculated about this and that she was among the very lowly. I don't know if we quite grasp that. Sitting where we are today in this country. That she was among the very lowly. Probably the daughter of a very plain man. In a very tiny town. You know, Luke even records in verse 48 of this same chapter. He said... Uh, that Mary said, for God, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond, bond slave. 
So the only clue that we're really given as to her parents are a first century reference that uh, tells us that, that they were their names were uh, Jehoiakim and Anna. Jehoiakim and Anna. And many think that her parents probably died, maybe while Mary was quite young, leaving her an orphan. And if all of this is true, then young Mary, somewhere between the age of 13 and 15, probably eked out a living as a maid, tending to the house and tending to the cattle in the village of Nazareth. But understand that Nazareth was not much more than a wide spot in the road. You see, it's not a town like we would think of a town. It's a, it's a small, very insignificant place, and we all no towns just like that. That if you're driving on the highway and you blink, you're going to miss it. That's just how small they are. But that's where Mary comes from. We do know a few things about her. She was betrothed to Joseph. And betrothal is a foreign term to us. It's not something we talk about much these days. It lasted for a year and was every bit as binding as marriage. It was like that engagement period before the marriage, only with legal implications. You see, betrothal stated the, the couple's intention of marriage. And in betrothal, everything in marriage was had except for sexual intimacy. All the legal ramifications of marriage were there in that time. See, if one was betrothed, it would only be broken by divorce or by death. So it was a serious union. It was a serious contract, if you will. Luther said that Joseph must have taken pity on this poor little orphan girl, Mary. No father, no mother. She was betrothed. He was betrothed to her so that she would not be deserted. So that she would have people. Now folks, this is all background information. As the story begins in Luke, we are told about the angel Gabriel. If you go back in, in verse 19 of this same chapter, it says, when he's talking to uh, Zechariah, he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Then we're told in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. That's pretty impressive. He visited a nobody in the middle of nowhere. Gabriel, the angel that stands in the presence of God, it says in verse 26, was sent from God. He came to visit Mary in the city of Nazareth. Mary was probably going about her work when the angel said, God has favored you. You have found favor with God. Imagine a 14 or 15 or 16 year old girl whose work was interrupted by an angel sent from God. 
named Gabriel. And if that wasn't enough, he told this teenage girl that she was someone special. That God favored her. Luke says that she was very perplexed. <laughs> troubled. Probably scared out of her wits. Can you imagine? She didn't know what to think. But the angel must have understood her fear. He tried to reassure her. You know, hey, I didn't come here to scare you. That's the last thing I want to do. I came here to let you know that God thinks that you are very special. And he has favored you among all the women of the earth. You will conceive. I mean, it could be traumatic enough to have an angel interrupt your work, but to be told that she who had never even let a man hold her was going to conceive and have a baby. I think that was probably a little too much for her to handle. I mean, she probably questioned, and this is the pastor's paraphrase, my paraphrase, I don't even have a husband, Gabriel. I mean, what, what in the world will Joseph, and not to mention the neighbors, think when he finds out that I'm pregnant? He's going to think that I've been with somebody else. Maybe more than one, I don't know. But Mary was probably shocked by this news and initially had been, may have been afraid of having found favor with God. I mean, to ease Mary's fear, the angel told her about Elizabeth. He said she was also pregnant and would have a baby in, in about three months. And if God could cause a woman of that age to conceive, the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. He could do just about anything he wants to do. So Mary, she decided to go up to the hill country, see her friend Elizabeth, her relative, and, and have a serious talk. And Mary wasted no time finding Elizabeth, and she stayed there with her for three months. You know, one pregnant older woman helping a younger pregnant woman with her condition. The next scene that we have is the wonderful passage in chapter 2. If you turn there with me in chapter 2, verse 1, it begins this way. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, in, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, excuse me, yeah, to Judea, um, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We see Mary again 
I want to say more of a woman, but still a girl. She's very pregnant now. Probably riding on a donkey led by Joseph, her husband. They were on their way to Bethlehem. This decree that was made that everyone should go back to the place where they were born, pay their taxes, and enroll for the new census at that time. And Joseph and Mary were on their way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was about 80 miles away from Nazareth. You know, I just, I was trying to get my mind around that, and I was trying to give some perspective. And so, uh, you know, Glen Rose, Glen Rose is about 80 miles north of Temple. Glen Rose. Lockhart is about 86 miles south of Temple. Salt Lick Barbecue is 78 miles southwest. You know, I, I'm just, just for fun, I, I googled 80 miles east of Temple. You know what came up? There was a little pin on the map and it said Bucky's. 80 miles east of Temple, there's a Bucky's. I just thought that was kind of interesting. But Bethlehem was 80 miles from Nazareth. That's a long donkey ride when you're extremely pregnant. So back to our story. Mary could not stay at home. She didn't have any other relatives to take care of her. They couldn't hire someone to stay with her. And you can imagine several long days on a donkey in the late stages of pregnancy. Now Luke doesn't describe Joseph's feelings or thoughts. He doesn't talk a whole lot about Joseph. We don't know how he dealt with the news that his intended bride was pregnant. Matthew says that Joseph had difficulty dealing with the situation. And obviously he felt like he had misjudged her. At some level, maybe she, he felt like maybe she was unfaithful to him or whatever until he also receives a visit. He'd become betrothed to her and then behind his back, she must have been involved with another man, maybe more than one, he doesn't know. If Joseph had chosen to, he could have denounced her and had her stoned to death. According to the law. He could have had her killed. But she was only 15, 16 years old, and life had been very hard. Maybe the angel was right after all. So there he was months later, Joseph, asking her how she felt, taking care of her, stopping for water, stopping for rest, caring for his wife and child that was not his. You can imagine how ready they were to rest after several days of travel. Like us, they may have envisioned, you know, a a warm bath and a, a bed to stretch out on. Get a good night's sleep. However, that was not to be. Scripture tells us there was no room in the inn. Every available room was taken. Even the homes that took strangers in for the night had no room. They wondered what they were going to do until someone 
whose name has slipped from the pages of history, told them that there was a barn out back of his inn and it wasn't much, but you know, he, he, he said it would keep him warmer than maybe sleeping on the streets. And probably over his shoulder as he was leaving the room said, you know, he hoped the animals wouldn't get too much in the way. But you know the rest of the story. While they were there, the unexpected happened. Probably that bumpy ride. But the baby came. The baby came there in the darkness. Think about this. In the darkness with no light, no fire, no help. This 15 or 16 year old girl gave birth while Joseph probably stood by not knowing exactly what to do. While the labor was over and the child was finally born, they laid him in the manger where the cows had eaten because that was all they had. That was all they had. You know, some strange things happened after that. Looking back, Mary was amazed by everything that occurred. I mean, shepherds came laughing and rejoicing, saying that they had heard the news from the angels. Later, wise men came from the east, important men, more important than she had ever seen, and they brought gifts. They came from places she had never even heard of, but they brought important gifts for her son. Then we read in the temple on the eighth day, Jesus received his name. Then there was the old man Simeon there in the temple, asked Mary if he could hold the baby. Mary remembered that he had said something strange about how he could die in peace now, now that he had seen Jesus. And she remembered how he wiped tears away with the back of his hand as he, as he shuffled away, but that wasn't all. She also remembered the old woman, Anna, in the temple. She too wanted to hold the baby and she held him up and she looked toward heaven and she said, thank you, God, thank you, God. Thank you for giving us the redemption that we were seeking. So when we talk about Mary, we talk about pain and we talk about joy. Pain and joy. That's what Mary remembered most. Pain so terrible that she thought she would die before the baby ever came. And joy. Joy from Joseph wiping her brow and whispering, it's going to be all right. And the baby, that beautiful baby, asleep in the crook of her arm. Maybe she thought the angel was right after all. So what do we learn from, from Mary's story? What do we take away from this? I would say first we take away this. God chose a woman. God chose a woman. I mean, women in, in Jesus' day, they, they were viewed as chattel. They were just property. Women performed most of the physical labor and they were not allowed to even voice their opinions. 
But when Almighty God decided to send His Son to earth, His one and only Son, He chose a woman to be the vessel. I think that's huge. See, the whole story runs against their culture and ours. We do know that in that very act of choosing a woman, God dignified the lot, the circumstances of women, of all women. He elevated their lot in life. I mean, psychologically, think about this. The shape of Mary's influence would be on Jesus Christ until the day He died. Her imprint was on His life, His entire life. But isn't that true with each one of us? That our mother's imprint is upon us all of our life. We can't get away from it. It's there. She's with us from the moment of birth until we die. See, Joseph seemed to slip into oblivion. Mother Mary was there at the foot of the cross. Could it be that Jesus was sensitive to the women of his time because of his own mother? We do know that contrary to all the, the currents of his time, that Jesus told women time and time and time again that they were important, that they were valued, even favored. See, this Christmas story tells us that Jesus first came to Mary. He dignified her lot. And Mary was chosen above all the others to nurture and nourish the very Son of God. Theotokos, the God-bearer. The one who bears God. Secondly, we take away from this that we must contend with the virgin birth. See, our society and culture today would say, oh, that's just a, a tale. That's just a fairy tale. But understand, we have God's Word that it happened through a virgin. There was something special about this baby. He was the Son of God. Luke leaves no doubt that Mary was a virgin. Matthew, his account is even stronger. See, but little attention is given to the idea of the virgin birth outside of those two Gospels. Even in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, they trace Jesus' ancestors through Joseph's line. But very early on, the church proclaimed the virgin birth. This child was special. This child was unique. His followers believed that he is and was the Son of God in an ultimate sense. And brothers and sisters, this doctrine signifies that God alone is responsible for Christ's birth. He is the Son of God. And that's what this story of the Virgin Mary tells us, that Jesus really is the Son of God. 
And the whole doctrine says this, take notice. This is someone special. And if you choose to ignore this, then you do it to your own peril. Because he came to be the savior of the world. You know, in Handel's Messiah, the alto sings, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And then the chorus rings back. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And the point is, is that God sent His Son, His only Son, to this earth that we might learn from Him and that we might be changed and transformed by Him. The Incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. God wrapped in human flesh for us. We have to deal with the the virgin birth. Thirdly, I would say we must learn the true meaning of greatness. (laughs) Put our measuring sticks next to the story of Mary's. And they look pretty foolish. See, we would have written this story much differently. We would have given Jesus the the best room. We would have given him the finest servants. We would have given him the best clothing to wear. And we would have had all the world's advantages to give to him. But this story says that true greatness is never, ever measured by the world's standards. True greatness. See, we see here that what is of the highest importance not buildings, it's not budgets, not the earthly trappings of power. Because greatness was nestled in the arms of a poor maiden in a back alley, down a side street, in a little town that no one had ever heard of. One final thought. We learn again that there was no room in the inn. So the question remains, is there room in our hearts for Him? See, if the people had known, this event might have been written differently in Bethlehem. I mean, they would have prepared for Jesus' coming. They would have celebrated His arrival. More people would have come to greet Mary and Joseph and the baby. But the reality is, is they did not know. They didn't know and they missed Jesus coming. Will there be room in our hearts for him? See, if there's going to be room in our hearts We're going to have to make some room. We're going to have to create some space in our hearts for Him. And to make room means that we have to change the way that we spend our money at Christmas time and the rest of the year. We have to make some adjustments to make some room in our heart. In order to make room it means that we need to be more sensitive to those 
needs and the needy people around us. We can't close our hearts off to them. We've got to make room. That means we've got to adjust some things. To make room in our hearts means to let Him deal with the depression that affects us because of the circumstances. Like a lonely Christmas. Or even the pandemonium of this pandemic. The chaos that we live in now. See, to make room in our hearts means to sort out our priorities. To say this is what is truly important. Not all this other junk that the world wants to put on me, but the things that are truly important are the things that God deems as being important. We've got to make room in our hearts. And in order to make room, it means to open the door, maybe for the first time. To allow Jesus Christ to come in and to become our Lord and our Savior. See, we can take a lot away from this. But the bottom line is, is there room in our hearts for Jesus? You know, Luke doesn't describe this. But I can almost see Mary pulling that ragged corner of the blanket up around herself and nursing that baby as they both maybe drift off to sleep. Her from exhaustion. It's been quite a day. Quite a day. But little did she know the impact of God's favor Upon her. We don't always know the impact of God's favor upon us. And I think many times we sell our Lord short. So I challenge you to make room in your heart for Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, you know our hearts. Father, you know the things that we struggle with. And Father, it's no accident that we are here today and that we've heard Mary's story today. Father, and even in Mary's story, we see some of our own story. I know I do. Father, I, I thank you for that. I thank you. That you came to us. While we were still sinners. You came to us. So that we could be reconciled to you. Thank you Father for reaching out to us. I ask Father. In the time that remains. Our time together. Father that you would. Help us this morning. To make room in our hearts for Jesus. Father, that this morning we would desire to do that and we would make that a priority. Unlike any other day, Father, we would make room in our hearts for Jesus.
Father, I ask that you would be with this time of response. Father, we've heard your word. We've been challenged by it. And now we must respond. So, Father, I pray that you would move us from where we are to where you desire us to be. And in this moment, Father, that we would experience the love of Christ. His love for us. His desire for us. So much that he gave his life. Father, not so that we could just use him as a good luck charm when we really need it. Not so that we could come on Christmas and Easter and celebrate him. But Father, that he could walk with us in relationship as a brother and a friend carrying the load showing himself mighty as we invite him in to our lives God that may that be true of each one of us today and may we make room in our hearts for Jesus and it's in his mighty name that we pray Amen.